You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan, and we are here with William Wilson from William Wilson Clothing. Now, if you feel good, you want to look good. And if you look good, you feel good. And our next guest on the Brown Butters Podcast will having you look good in your suit or really any custom clothing that you're looking for. Uh, and, and this is a person that has a pretty cool background. So let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, William makes custom suits uh, for for men and custom clothing, but not everybody you know that can really have that or, or really looks great in it. But this guy will make you look great. He is a y- unique and diverse as the suits himself. Now, this is an eight-year Navy veteran who became the first African-American man to win a NASCAR race, which is badass. Um, he also took that kind of experience and now has become a, a successful customer builder who really creates upscale clothing. You know, he's a sought-after motivational speaker. This is somebody that has a lot of experience he's right here in Charlotte. We're super excited about it. He was just telling us recently about a story where he's going to be going to Atlanta right now after this to go help out a customer. So he's, he's hands-on. He gets the projects done. And uh, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about this. Welcome, William Wilson, to this episode of the Brand Butters Podcast. Thank you much, very much. I appreciate you having me. But I do want to clarify one thing. Yeah, let's Wendell do it. Wendell Scott was the was the Wendell Scott was the first African American to win a NASCAR race. Oh. I was the first to win a championship. There I was we- on a pit crew. I was the first to win a championship. All right, so a championship. We need a typo. We're gonna put that in there. Championship sounds better, anyways. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Man, I want to make sure I give Mr. Scott his credit because he was out there. Because when he won his race, they actually they made they made him second place. He won a race in Myrtle Beach. They, they gave him second place because they didn't feel the, the people in the stands would be able to accept a black guy winning a NASCAR race. Then after everyone left, they gave him the champ. They gave him the win. His family just got the trophy earlier this year. And that was from like 1960-something. You know, I heard oh, about God. that when, when Bubba Wallace won his race. That yep. story came up. And, uh, and they had mm-hmm. mentioned that about how he just or his family just received that trophy. Uh, recently wow what a story that is almost that, 50 years later that's wild that is awesome man sorry about that i'm glad we got that correction and clarification though yeah. yeah william man thank you for being here sounds like you have a tremendous background i'm curious like what was life like for you growing up and and where if you don't mind sharing well i grew up in a little small town in arkansas augusta arkansas it's it's like small farm town like i learned how to drive on a tractor love it um there were 41 people in my graduating class in high school, and I didn't go to a private school. So wow. it was just a little small town. But, you know, as, I'm, as I've gotten older, and you know, I live right in the middle of downtown Charlotte, I really appreciate the, the things I never had to worry about as a kid. Like, you know, all the families knew each other. You know, you didn't have to worry about crazy people getting snatched off the street and all the, just the, all the craziness. It was just kind of cool. You knew your neighbors. All your neighbors knew you. It just really felt more like a community, whereas, you know, here in the city, it's a lot more disjointed because everyone's kind of doing their own thing. But it was just really got to learn a lot of good values, learn the value of hard work, you know, and those kind of things. And to work yourself out of the country, move to the city, you know, you just take those same principles and things and just work it all throughout life. We just learned the value of hard work and honest day's work. And never look down on anybody, regardless of what they do for a living. Love that. And is that like those principles and, and background? Is it 
what brought you to Charlotte? What what got you out of that small town community where everything was comfortable and you know everyone knew each other and supported each other? Well, I went to the Navy. I graduated high school on May twentieth. May twenty fifth, I left for boot camp. May twenty sixth, I was in boot camp. So I was only out of school five days prior to the Navy. But I came out here to visit some friends of mine. I was stationed at Virginia Beach. And I just kind of liked the area. I was like, man, Charlotte's kind of nice. There was plenty of jobs, plenty of money, and women outnumbered men four to one. So yes, sir. all the numbers were good to me. <laughs> so, I'm in. I'm in. So I, yeah, so I'm moving out here. I plan on being here three to five years. 20 years later, you know, I'm still here. You know, it's funny, man. I grew up in Elizabeth City, small town right south of Virginia Beach. And uh, My little sister was born in Elizabeth City. Really? So yeah. I, I understand that small community and that, that vibe and growing up in that environment. And I love it and I appreciate it and I value it just like you do. Uh, yep. But similar story, you know, went to college, moved here in 2000 and, and fell in love with it, wanted more opportunity. And, and here we are. Yep. So, so I love awesome. it. I, I grew up in Kansas as, in, a, in a small city and then moved to Atlanta. And I feel it's kind of like the best of, of both worlds. You've got that small town vibe. But then you can go to a larger city where there is a lot of opportunity, but you still kind of have that humble upbringing Core of, values. of yeah, yeah, of being a nice person. That's There's right. a lot of assholes out there. I don't know where they're coming from, but man, y'all just need to wake up and be nice. It's pretty simple. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, thank you for you your go, service. You bring your values, you bring you and your values with you. That's yes, right. Sir. Thank you for your service. Man. Absolutely. That's all. So you're in the Navy, and then when you get out of the Navy, you you get into Charlotte. Tell us, like, how did you get into racing? You know, I mean, I heard championship. You you corrected me real quickly, and I would have done the same thing. I want to know not only how you got into racing, but what was it like as a black man coming into a sport that you were the minority? There weren't many black African-American men or women involved in that sport, specifically when you came in. So I'd love to hear that journey of how you even got involved in it and then how you became a champion um well the champion part is easy i was just on a good team <laughs> there we go. You know, it's like you know if you played on if you played on the, the buccaneers last year and if you were the water boy you became a champion because you were just on the right team um but the way i got into nascar was really kind of it was kind of weird i worked for john whelan holmes as a finish manager and two of the guys i went with that i worked with they were going to a race, I think it was 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. They were going to the qualifying and stuff, an ARCA race for the Bank of America 500. So I went with them, and I was like, man, this NASCAR stuff's kind of cool. And I'd seen it on television because it kind of piques my inner nerd. But being there in the stands and seeing the pit stops and all this, I'm like, I want to get involved because I want to do this. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and they said, uh, my name is Steve Allen said, Will, look around. The only people that looked like me had event staff on their shirt, even in the stands. And he said, it's hard to get a NASCAR if you know somebody. Then you don't know anybody and you're black, which both both were true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, all, the te- all the teams are here in Charlotte. And it's one of those things where I tell people all the time, you can, sometimes you can know too much for your own good. But I was so ignorant, I basically just developed a driver development program and I just literally just knocked on the doors of all the shops in Charlotte that would, that would let me in, trying to get a meeting. And long story short, I was able to get one. I ended up, you know, with a team and it 
and I, I didn't get to drive. I wanted to drive. I was just too old to get to drive. And this, like these kids started like five or six, mm -hmm. but I just watched it. I would watch the team, and I was like, this pit stop stuff is kind of cool. Then I decided I wanted to be a jack man, so I actually went home. And by this time, I owned my own construction company. I was a framing contractor. I went home, and I cleared out my living room, and I had my guys build a small pit wall for me in my apartment. And I taped off a pit box and I bought a 45 pound weight. At the time, our jacks were 35 pounds. They're like 20 pounds now. But at the time, they were 35. So I bought a 45 pound weight and I would practice, you know, jumping off the wall, you know, to stimulate in my mind the car being there, just the things I saw at the track. I mean, at the at practice. And then when the guys had finished practice, I'd take one of the jacks and I would just practice jacking up the car, running around the other side, jacking up the car, really just watching what I saw them do. And I did that for a about a year, but no one knew I was doing it. So the next year, the team was getting ready for Daytona. Uh, Jackman's back was a little sore. They said, you know, we'll just push off, you know, we'll push off practice for the day. So I, I didn't know all the guys knew me. So I begged them. I begged the crew track, the crew chief. I said, hey, man, I said, this give me one shot. Let me just try this one time. Like, what you got to lose? He's like, man, will you do this? You're going you're gonna to get hurt. You're going to sue us. I had to sign all these waivers and all this, and I did it, and I was only like four-tenths of a second slower than what they'd been doing. So then I was looking like, wait, what just happened? Set it back up again. And by the time we finished it, we were having really good stops. That's why they had no idea even knew how to do it. Then it being the backup guy, then it just, you know, you just, you get your shot, and then you get your shot. I just excelled, and it just worked. So I'm a huge NASCAR fan. I've, I uh, grew up loving it. My dad took me to a bunch of races. I've been to the Hall of Fame before. I know how hard it is even just to change a tire, much less jack the whole car up. Uh, before we jump into what you do now, what are your thoughts on them changing the entire wheel? And now there's not going to be five lug nuts. It's going to be one. Like the, it, To me, like you, win, you look at the championship this year. A lot of the drivers won and lost on pit road, straight up. Like it didn't matter. Like always. especially the, always at the end, you you look at that track, you look at how that 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 race ended, and people could come in first and they're coming out fifth, coming in fourth, coming out first. How is that mm -hmm. going to change? I mean, it seems like the pit stop is going to be a lot faster. I'm just curious as a fan's perspective, what your thoughts are on that. Um, at first I hated it for the very reason you very talking about. I'm like, it's going to take all the competitiveness out of the sport, it takes out the dexterity and all this. And I was talking with Phil Horton, who runs NASCAR's Drive for Diversity Pit Crew Program. And I was talking to him about that. I told him, he said, no, he said, it's going to still be competitive. He said, now it's going to put, a, it's going to put an emphasis on speed, more of an emphasis on speed. But once and I saw the new gun, I saw it last week. It's the craziest looking. I bet. You see those movies like with like the Kraken, where yeah. they have like the, it <laughs> yeah. opens up like under the body and yeah. opens up like this. That's what it looks like. Wow. It's the craziest thing. The, the lug lug um, gun but he said no he said it's gonna put an emphasis on footwork making sure you get off on the right foot that you set up on the right foot that you're engaged you have your weight shifted all properly because all those things could take off you know two tenths or you know a hundredth of a tenth of a second and those things don't matter because when i was in our, our fuel cells were 22 gallons they're 18 now so what's going to happen you're going to still have really fast pit stops but it's going to put a lot of more um, emphasis on athleticism because getting around that car, getting set up, getting your stop done is going to be all. I think you have, I have a lot more pit stops, which means gas, you know, because it look like you look at Indian things like that. 
you're always waiting on the gas man. So no matter how fast you are or how slow you are, you still finish before the gas man. Mm-hmm. But where our fuel cells, our gas delivery, our fuel delivery units are done, you know, I don't think it's going to be a big issue. So it's going to still be competitive. I didn't think so at first until Coach Phil explained it to me. So now I feel better about it. That's good to hear because I had the exact same thought. Because I, I, it's like it's it's one of those things, especially if you've ever gotten the opportunity to be in the pits you know, during an actual race and to see it live is, is unbelievable. When you say athletic, that's why they're recruiting ex college football players. You know, they're coming out of the people that might not have any experience in NASCAR, but they know they're real athletic. They're strong, they're quick. And I think that's going to continue. I mean, you look at a pit crew, they could probably go play a D one sport. They probably all did to be honest. Um, so that's oh, yeah, pretty well, you got, well, if you look at, um, you go to gymnastics, it's track, it's, um, Track house racing. Now they bought all they bought Ganassi's program. They've got Jeremy Kimbrough. Actually, he played for the Redskins. I made his first. I made his first suit his rookie year, and I made a suit for him after he won his first win in the, with Kurt Busch. That's but you know, he played in the league. Josh Josh Bush, who's the I think he's the front tire carrier for Austin Dillon. He won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. Um, wow. Rocky Rocco Williams. He kind of helped work with Coach Field. He was on the practice squad for the Falcons. You know, Marshall McFadden played for the Falcons. He's with Ganassi. Uh, Richie Williams, the quarterback at App State. You know, th- there's a lot of guys that played in the league and, you know, were practice squad guys that are playing on these pit crews. That's awesome. And, and you alluded a little bit to it. I'm, I'm just curious how this background evolved into the closing biz- or clothing business. Um, is, is it because you built that network of people that were investing in their clothes the, the way, you know, they are and, and you saw an opportunity there? No, not at all. I, I fell into this completely by accident. <laughs> like I said, I was a framing contractor, so I just, we just framed custom houses. And I only did 8,000 square feet and up. So wow. we spent a lot of time on houses. But I had crews that was doing the work, so I was always going to different meetings. And so I always have a suit on or something. I go check on my site in the morning, check on the afternoon. Because I always like to make sure I see it, touch it. In case anything comes up, I know what they're talking about. So one of the homeowners today said, man, Will, you always dress so nice. Could you help me put my wardrobe together? Long story short, he liked what I did with him. Man, he started sending other people to me. So I started helping them. And then I said, you know what? These people are paying me to tell them what to go buy. If I can provide it, there may be a business in this. Now, Again, I'm a country boy from Arkansas. I have no idea that this <laughs> place like Tom James and, you know, all these other places even exist. Right. So in my mind, I was creating a whole new service category. But I was friends with Mike Minner and Mike Rucker and Al Wallace and those guys. So I said, if you can have your perfect clothing situation, what would it be? And actually, Al Wallace was my first celebrity client. And we were, I was sitting in Panera Bread in Ballantyne, and right there in Ballantyne Village. And... Al walks in, we we're talking, said, we're going to start a custom clothing company. He said, you know, I need a couple of sport coats. So he gave me a shot, and it fit, you know, Al's 6'5", 285. So he make a suit for him, you know. And I started doing stuff with Mike Minner, and it just rolled on from there. You have a pretty amazing client list. If you go on to uh, William... Uh, WilsonClothing.com, you can check this out. I mean, you got Steph Curry, you got Oscar De La Hoya. It says that you've had design looks uh, for the red carpet for the Grammys, the Oscars, you know, Emmy Awards. Like, that's the the top stuff right there. Like, how cool is it for you to not only get to work 
with people like this who who are attracted to kind of your style and how you design this. But then seeing that, you know, on mainstream TV, seeing these celebrities win the awards and and when they go up there and they have your your clothing on, like that's got to feel great. Well, it's it's neat. Um, it probably isn't as big. It probably I probably don't necessarily fully appreciate the gravity of it because when it happened so fast and I didn't grow up wanting to be a designer. So it's not like I'm living my dream. So to somebody who like dreamed about doing this would be a bigger deal to them. But I remember when I did Calvin Richardson's suit for the Grammys, he had hit me up and I, you know, we got his suit. We actually did the suit in like a week and a half. It was crazy, but we got it in. And I, I hate red carpet shows. I hate them. I'm not, I'm not really a like design. Like, not in my blood. You know what I mean? It's just, it was just something I was good at. And I just love running businesses in general. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to suffer through this red carpet show. I want to be able to get Calvin walking on the red carpet so I can put it on my website. And so I text him, like, dude, when are you going to walk on the red carpet? He said, I'm already here. I'm already inside. I'm like, huh? He said, yeah, I'm already inside. He said, they voted me best dressed on the red carpet. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and it was so crazy because I didn't know they, I didn't know they voted that kind of stuff. You know, I knew nothing about that world. So it really worked out really well, but it also taught me to you know, make sure you have all the pieces of your infrastructure in place. And I hear this huge thing. It was the 50, 2010, so it was the 52nd Grammy Awards. To me, only 52 people could ever say they designed an award-winning red carpet look, but I had no PR team or anything like that, you know, to really get that word out, to really spread the word about it, which would have been a major accomplishment. But I just didn't know that part of it. I didn't think I would, one, I didn't know it existed. And two, I didn't really realize you know, make sure I have my PR team together in the event of something like that happening. But fortunately, that's before algorithms and things became a big part of social media. It was pretty much just Facebook at the time. And if any of your friends posted, you saw all of it. Yep. So I was still able to get a good bit of it out there. I got some Charlotte press from it, but I could have maximized it a lot better had I had a PR team. How hard is it to be a custom designer out of Charlotte when, and this might just be ignorant of me, but it seems like majority of those worlds come out of LA and New York. Uh, is it hard to gain that credibility? Or do you think now with social media and with kind of what I would say an open opportunity for anybody to sell anything through what the internet has been able to do and social media has been able to do, does that kind of bridge that gap and give people opportunity that are in different cities like you've gotten here in Charlotte? Yeah, I think it all comes down to Again, it comes down to work ethic and just using the, using the tools that you have available to you. You know, with me, like I built my entire company, you know, really just on Facebook because that's really all it was at the time. You know, MySpace had kind of phased out. It was just most Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those didn't exist at that time. Well, they, I think Twitter existed, but it wasn't a thing. I think it was musically at the time before, before they bought it. But the, the harder part really just building the network. You just got to put the sweat equity in. That's where it comes down, just going to the events, going to the, to the stuff. And the deal is like celebrities aren't my target market even now. They've never been. You know, my target market are, you know, regular business people that wear suits every day. If they're going to buy them somewhere. I just got to convince them to buy them from me. And their friends are going to buy them. I tell people all the time, I'd rather have the guy who works at Bank of America Corporate Center than the player that plays the Bank of America Stadium. Because one, this guy's only going to have like a three, on average, a three, four-year career. And, they're, and most of the time when you see them, they're going to have on sweats, jeans, Jordans, that kind of thing. 
where the and, and so are his friends because his friends are going to typically be other athletes. Where the guy at Bank of America Corporate Center, he's going to wear suits every day, and his peers are going to wear suits every day. So his network, I can either try to turn over my network every three years, or have someone who's going to have a forty-year career. Yeah, exactly. The NFL, especially with the NFL, you really don't have a career for the most part. You have an experience. You're there three, four exactly. years, and then you're done. Yep. Where you know the, the Tom Brady's, the Thomas Davises, those guys, you know. They're more the the unicorns of the sport, whereas you know you get a guy who's who is great like Dan Morgan, beast who was always hurt, had a short career. Luke Kuechly, beast, still concussions had a had a longer than most, but still relatively short career. Considering how good he could have been for the next fifteen years, so to me it just comes down to just it's just economy efficiency. I have th- this group of people here for the next thirty years. For these guys for the next five. Exactly. We we're in the in the business of creating customized clothing for corporations, for nonprofits, for really anyone uh, not in the suit world, right? Um, I, I, they can wear a suit, but we do things that are a little bit different. But me and Scott and, and our brand, we talk about it all the time. We are a walking billboard. Our best clients are the referrals that we get from there. In your world, if you have an executive at Bank of America that walks in and looks fly, then guess what? His two partners want to look like that. And then their team wants to look like that. And before you know it, you got 50 clients out of one board meeting and and that's better than you can ever get. So you you definitely have nailed that. I want to learn a little bit about you do you do public speaking and and your background is so diverse not only from where you grew up, going into the military, working in NASCAR, now being in custom clothing, being in construction. I mean, you've kind of been in a lot of different buckets and now you bring that all together and you are a speaker. Tell us about uh, tell us a little bit about that in general and, and, and how can people learn about bringing you uh, or getting in touch with you to, to speak at events as well? Um, I, like to, I, I, like, I like people. I just genuinely like people. I'm that guy. If I go, hey, how you doing? If you start telling about all the things you're going through, that's what I want to hear. You know, some people, they say, how's it going? If you stop and tell them, then they're irritated because you're taking up their time. Well, if you don't want to know how I'm doing, don't ask me how I'm doing. But, you know, right? But I, 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 I genuinely like people. And I remember when I was just, just getting started, how so a lot of the difficulties and things that I had to go through as a business person, the misconceptions that I had as a business person and things like that. So I love being able to help other people and talk to them about the realism of entrepreneurship, leadership, winning, all those types of things, understanding failure to succeed in life. I want to see everybody win. But I take that back. I used to say I want to see everybody. I want to see all the good people win. I see assholes win all the time. I want to see good people win. Amen. Amen. And the best way to help good people win is when you win, help them win. Mm -hmm. So the best, sometimes the best thing is just education, an encouraging word, just explain to people how how to do it. You know, motivational speakers kind of, I've never really liked the term so much, but it's just the one that people understand. I'm, I'm more of an educational speaker because I can tell you, you can do it. You can make it happen. Nah, nah, nah. You can leave my, you can leave feeling all happy and energized. You still need to understand, okay, how? You got me all hyped, but how do I do it? You know, how do I execute? What kind of things should I do? What should I look at? What kind of mindset should I have? And as I've been doing this, I really realized with a lot of people, they have the talent or they have the skill, but they just have a misconception of what entrepreneurship is like. 
They think, hey, I'm going to be a website, an Instagram page, a business card. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a boss. They don't realize, you know, entrepreneurship, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But it's a, it's a sad, it's a lonely and very difficult path. It has great rewards, but you got to have a certain mindset for it. You know, and not everybody's good being an entrepreneur, which is okay. But I think, you know, successful entrepreneurs have done a disservice to up and coming entrepreneurs because all they do is talk about how they're winning and the sort of all that traffic is excess of their successes. And then they minimize people who have jobs as if you're less than. And they'll say stupid stuff like, I would never trade my money for time. We all trade our money for time. That's just a stupid statement. It may sound cool on a billboard or a t-shirt, but it's a stupid saying. We, I'm going to Atlanta right now. That's my time. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I have to go again tomorrow again, that's still my time. When I meet with a client, you know, a potential client or a client coming in to buy something, it's still my time. I'm taking that time and we're going to exchange it for goods and services for money. Or, you know, the mindset of, you know, I can't work for anybody. Well, you don't need to be an entrepreneur because the difference between an entrepreneur and a boss, I tell an employee, I tell people all the time, if I worked at Bank of America, if I get fired, they give me a, they, they notify me, hey, we no longer need your services, clean out your desk, blah, blah, blah. You know you're fired. As an entrepreneur, you may not know you're, I may not know I'm fired until I see somebody, a client that I haven't seen in a while walking down the street in a suit I didn't make. <laughs> yeah, and 100%. I, I got to figure out, you know, how did I get fired? Or you see somebody that one of your normal nonprofits they buy from you every year, then suddenly they don't buy from you that year. Well, That's they right. bought from somebody, mm-hmm. you got fired. You know, for, you may have gotten fired, they may love you, but somebody else was, you know, 35 cents cheaper a shirt. You know, things like this. So you're always working for somebody else. That's so right. I really like to be able to tell people the misconceptions of entrepreneurship. And just really just make it real so they know what they're going into and let them understand that failure, when people say dumb stuff like failure is not an option. No, it's not an option. It's a definite. (laughs) You're going to fail in some areas, but failing and failure are two different things. So I want them to understand going into it, you know, decide what you what you decide is a success. You know, you get to determine how you want your business, what you want it to do and give them the truth, you know. 87% 87% of, of small businesses make less than $100,000 a year. That's just a statistical fact. But most people, if you don't know about it, you think, well, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to buy a Bentley and live in a big house or a gated community. And it's not that me. That may happen or it may not. So I just want people to understand. So me being going out speaking to people and my speaking things tend to be, say I'm speaking for an hour. I'll speak for about 15 minutes. The rest is all Q&A. Because my thing is, I want you to leave looking for information that you had questions about. So the longer I have to give you questions, the better. And then when I'm finished, I typically, I'll stay there as long as you have questions. I'll stay on the side of the stage and answer every question that someone has until they can. Because I would have wanted somebody to do that for me. So I try to do that for other people. What a great mindset, man. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I love it. I uh, I had my I have a three-year-old. And we were running around our house and we had this new little like track basically where he wants to win every single time. And like we were running around like the first four times, like I, I kind of let him win. And the fifth time I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat, I'm going to beat him. You know, I'm I'm not, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Like you're three years old. You're a grown man. You know what I mean? So I I beat him and he just gets down on his knees, bawling, crying. I want to win. You know And I'm like? I like that. And I just looked at him. It was the first time I've ever in my life got to tell him, 
you know, you're going to fail a lot more than you're going to win. But if you learn how to fail the right way, then you'll always win. And it was kind of cool. He has no idea what the hell I'm saying right now. But in my mind, I'm like, yes, here <laughs> it is. Your, first, your yeah. first failure. Like, I'm like proud of it. And I'm proud that he was he wanted to win. But it's like, look, you got to learn from that. So I love exactly. that. you. I love that mindset um, that you talked yeah, about. You know, that. I, I spoke. I donated. I, I partnered with. Uh, actually, got, he graduated from my same high school. And they give away, like, bikes and things like this. And I always wanted to do a gift back in my community where I grew up. And I wanted to do a turkey giveaway. They already had some kind of set up. So we just donated 50 turkey dinners to unfortunate families in Arkansas at my high school. And you know, I got to speak. You know, they listed off my accolades and all that stuff. And the first thing I told them, I said, this sounds great, but, you know, I can write. You can fill up a whole page with my accomplishments, but I can write a whole book with my failures. And that's why I want people to understand every successful person that you meet, you have failures. There are going to be some failures. You know, we, we've tried to schedule this a couple of times. You know, it didn't work out because my schedules didn't work out. So some would consider that a fail, but it wasn't a failure because now here we are now. You know, sometimes just because you fail today doesn't mean you fail consistently. It just, it just may be, it's like a rain dance. It's all about timing. And sometimes the timing works out. That's right. I had to write down that quote because that was amazing. That was amazing. I mean, I'm just going to repeat it because it was great. You can fill up a whole page with my accomplishments, but you can write a whole book with my mistakes or failures. And that mm -hmm. is unbelievable. Um, it is. Before we let you go, I do want to mention that you are uh, you are a noted uh, philanthropist. In 2010, you founded the William Wilson Charitable Foundation to raise funds to fight domestic violence, uh, survivor scholarships. Tell us a little bit about that. I think you have an event as well and would love to uh, to get not only the um, the people that listen to this, but really get that, that word out on how they can support that as well. Yeah, um, I have a event called, it's a celebrity document called the Clothier Classic. Uh, we hold it typically in May around Memorial Day. I basically just raised money. I started a scholarship at CPCC for domestic violence survivors and children survivors. My mom's a domestic violence survivor. You know, so I know firsthand what it's like to be a kid seeing that kind of, our situation is better now, obviously. But being a kid growing up in that kind of situation, I know it's like to feel powerless and helpless and things like that. So I never, I'm not under the impression that I could just, I can eradicate domestic violence and I can't change the world. But if I can change the world of a couple of people, you know, maybe make their lives better, change, at least change the trajectory of their lives. So that's what we try to do. I love it. And that's something that, you know, coming out of COVID isolation, a lot of things changed in the last 18 to 24 months. Uh, that's something that you need to have conversations with your friends, have conversations with you know, a lot of different people to figure that out because that's going to be an issue that's only going to get worse, unfortunately. And uh, I think it's amazing that you've started something like that. And hopefully more people can uh, can pay attention because domestic violence is terrible and it happens way, way, way too much. Um, I, exactly. There's really no words for it or any reason for it. So I appreciate yeah. you doing that. I remember, I, I remember I was talking to I was talking to Mark Slayer. We played the celebrity events like me, John Daly, Mike Ditka. It was like for Sheets. And me and Mike Slavers is talking. This is right after the Ray, the Ray Rice elevator incident. Yep. And the thing is, he said well, he knew domestic violence was bad, but he didn't grow up in a house where he see it, where he saw it, so he had never seen it. He said, and he said, I have daughters still. When I saw Ray, and he knew Ray, so when I saw Ray hit his then girlfriend, 
in the elevator. Like he said, he just touched a different part of me. Well, you look at like the Jets player, you know, what, about a month ago, that went viral, like he was just slinging his girlfriend around the house like a rag doll. You know, people just don't realize, you know, you see it on TV, and I think sometimes people get desensitized to it because it's movies or whatever. You realize this is real life. Right now, as we're speaking right now, someone's dealing with that. Someone was getting beaten and slapped around or choked right now as we speak somewhere. This is something that's really happening all the time. So again, my thing is like, I just want to see people win and help as many people as I can. You know, I live by a mantra of life, have as much fun as you can without hurting anybody. That's how I live life. A very, I'm very childish. My favorite foods are hot dogs. They were when I kid, they are now. It just, I just, I just like being me. And I just want people a little freedom of being themselves. Just being, you know, unbound from all the stupid things that hold people back. And usually this comes from, in my experience, it comes from either they're trying to live up this expectation of toughness or whatever. So I want to understand it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, you know, this hurt or this threw me off or I was depressed or whatever it may be. It's okay to strengthen that. It's okay to say, hey, I'm, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid to fail. It's okay to be honest because when you're honest, you can attract the people. That's authentic. You can attract the people who will really be on your team. 95% of the people in my life are fake as hell. They are. And I know it. I don't, I don't buy into it. They see the accolade. They see me playing golf all over the place. They see me hang with these celebrities, see all this. So most people in my life are there because they're like, oh, I can meet this person or I get tickets to this show or he can give me access to a new world. I can meet his network. I know what it's about. I understand the game. But that's why when I got the people that are real, that I can be real and open with, you know, that, that's everything. Those are the things that matter. That's that's so true. We Scott yeah. talks about this all the time. Your circle and 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 there was a, a a lot of people are saying this now, but you are what your circle is. You are who you hang out with. Uh, it, it's straight up, right? So having a small circle of people that are on your team that support you, that's what it's all about. And uh, fake people can go to hell. So that's, that's <laughs> it, it. Really is. That's all but, right. But, but but too many people put like I've got I've got friends I can't put together. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, friends. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people want to have their network, you know, they think like to me, like my network got to be all successful entrepreneurs, you know, executives, blah, blah, blah. Some of my friends, street. Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing is, you got to have people, it's not about what they make and what they do, it's who they are to you. Because I got friends that are professional, the people that you'd want at your house, at your party, at your event. If I'm, if I'm on my way to Raleigh and I break down at two o'clock in the morning, and I call one of them, they're like, oh, did you call a cab? Did you call a lift? Did you call it this? Meanwhile, the ones that you may not want at your house, if I call them, hey, where you at? You say, I'll be there in an hour. You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever, they'll stop what they're doing to come look out for you. Yep. Meanwhile, the ones that, you know, the right friends, if you will, they're just giving you suggestions on how to fix your own stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, these people will stop what they're doing to look out for you. Those are the people you want in your corner. They may not always have the money or the status or the, you know, the cachet, they have your back. Not everyone in your corner is in your circle. You got to make sure that they both, or, every, or not everyone in your circle is in your corner. Mm -hmm. Some people are just behind you so they can stab you first. So that's why you got to be really careful. Test your friends to know where they stand and be honest with where you sit in life. This makes life easier. 
Yeah. So true. So Great tell, advice. before we let you go, tell us how uh, people in our network can get in touch with you if they're interested about learning more about getting some custom clothing or bringing you uh, to, to an event or to their group to be a, uh, a speaker. What's the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, you go to my website, williamwilsonclothing.com, and probably the easiest way, probably just go through my Instagram at the clothier, T H E C L O T H I E R. And I do all my own social, so I, I respond to everybody. So I'm not one of these guys think you're too big to respond to people. I reply to everybody. And I don't care how big or small your event is. I'm not one of these guys that will only go to events this big or this whatever. Everyone needs help. Not everyone that, can, that needs help can afford to go to these big events. I love it. Your, your Instagram is amazing. 24,000 followers. Go check it out. It's awesome. I even see some inspiration on here. I, I feel like we got some some good posts, so we'll check that out. Uh, before we let you go, I uh, definitely want to thank you for, for joining us. Uh, everybody that's listening, like, share, comment. Go check out William Wilson. Check him out on LinkedIn. Follow him. Check him out on Instagram. See what he does. If you're interested in, in, uh, in custom clothing or custom suits, uh, he is your guy. And also, just check out his website and see all the different things that he's been able to do. Uh, really do appreciate your time. You know, wish the best uh, for you, not only in your business, but also, you know, with your nonprofit and, uh, and really just appreciate you coming on and joining us and telling your story. I thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate that very much. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, William. Safe travels to Atlanta. Always, yes. always taking care of the client right there. I love what you're doing. And uh, until next time, you have been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.